Hi, you're listening to Kate and Catherine. And we're going to show you how to find your Prince Charming so that you can finally live happily ever after <laughs> forever and ever. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. We are definitely not going to do that. We are sick of that story and it's a lie. It is a lie. You're listening to The New Truth, a modern woman's guide to extraordinary love. We are going to show you how the fairy tale love story stops you from experiencing the love you truly desire. Listen to hear how to break free from sacrifice and struggle in relationship. And learn the new truth about love in a way that you've never heard it before. We're so happy you're here. Keep listening. Welcome back to the New Truth Podcast, episode 44. We have a very, very, very special episode for you today. Um, we did plant the seed last week. So if you were on last week and you uh, listened to the beautiful conversation I had with my dear soul sister, Kylie Macbeth, um, definitely, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to part one because it's part one of a two-part episode. Today is Codependency to Liberated Love, part two, and we have brought in our very first man to the New Truth, <laughs> the New Truth podcast ever and couldn't be a more uh, perfect match for this role, first man on the podcast about love. We've got the one and only Mark Groves. If you don't know Mark, um, his Instagram is create the love. And what's your podcast called? The Mark Groves podcast. The Mark Groves podcast. He's got that podcast voice you're going to hear today. <laughs> um, so Mark, if you don't know Mark, he is an epic human being. He is pure love. Uh, he is, uh, his work is just so freaking life-changing. I have had so many people from so many different walks of my world say, have you heard of Mark Groves? Have you heard of Mark Groves? And even people who are not remotely on the path, like who are just new to the path of self-discovery and um, consciousness and all of these things. So Mark is a human connection specialist. He is obsessed with uh, un- unlocking and coding how people relate and how to make it better so that people can have the most fulfilling relationships in all aspects of their lives, I imagine. And yeah, he's just an amazing, amazing human being. So I feel so blessed that he's here today. Um, Catherine couldn't be with us again today. So it's just me and this beautiful divine couple. <laughs> and Catherine will be back next week if you're missing out on her wisdom. Um, but I can't wait to dig in and hear Mark's side of the story today um, on his world, his love life. And of course, we're going to hear from Kai too. So I guess you guys can't see them. So Kylie is here as well. Um, and I have this beautiful, amazing expander couple um, sitting in front of me and I can't wait to have this conversation with you. So let's dig in. So um, on Kylie's episode, Mark, if you haven't heard it yet, <laughs> we... Yeah. We went. Lived it though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was a lot longer than a podcast episode. I wouldn't have minded just covering sure. it in, in one hour. <laughs> um, so, well, Kai, uh, what we talked about on Kai's episode was um, we 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 went we dug into the past a little bit. 
So I'd love to do the same with you. So we're talking about from codependency to liberated love. And Kai shared a little bit of her love stories before Mark Gross came into her life. And then she shared the before and after of your relationship and the dance that you've been doing together. So would love to hear. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how the hell did you end up here as this human connection specialist <laughs> and master teacher of love? Oh, well, first off, thanks for having me. And it is such an honor to be welcomed into a sacred space of the feminine. So mm. um, I hope I do right by it. Um, where did it begin? You know, isn't that the, <laughs> you can go all the way back. I could probably go back generations to figure out where it began. Um, but my desire to learn about relationship was really found in um, a, a relational dysfunction, you know, in, in relationships not working out. And um, that was born that specific, like, hey, I need to learn how to do this better was when I was 27. And I ended an engagement with a, a really wonderful woman. Um, and, and that's what made it even harder is like, why didn't I want to get married to someone who was great and incredible and kind and all the things that are on the list. Uh -huh. And I, um, you know, it led me to just having this moment, I remember after, I mean, I had many, many, many moments after, but one very significant one was just this thought of like, how did I get here? Like, mm -hmm. how did I get to a place where I feel so disconnected from who I actually am? And when did that begin? And, you know, I started to look back and I, you know, I, when I was in my teens, um, I really, the idea of romance and love sort of came easy to me. And that could be from one, uh, Disney and two, socialization. And I'd say three, two, just having parents who were, you know, for the most part, very loving and caring for one another. And, and, and so when I entered relationship, I entered it in my late teens. I was sort of like late to the dating game, I think. Um, although that's relative, I'm sure some people are like, no, you think you were late. Um, <laughs> but I, I had my first girlfriend when I was in grade nine. That lasted a week, so she might not consider herself having been a girlfriend, but that shows you how time <laughs> isn't necessarily a determinant of the quantity or the impact a relationship can have. And uh, that, I mean, that, that was so interesting about that one. I had her on my podcast, actually, just to talk about it, because I felt very let on. I felt very let down. I felt all the yeah. things... But really, I didn't have boundaries. I wasn't paying attention to the truth. And in response to her lack of choosing me back, uh, I listened to Boys to Men, End of the Road. Oh. It's a famous, painful. That <laughs> so was my breakup dog. song, too. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good, especially when oh, that man. one guy gets down on his knees and sings with the wind blowing on his shirt. So, you know? uh, so I listened to that song, and I didn't talk to her for a year and a half. So I would walk by her in the halls of school and she would say, hi, Mark. And I would ignore her. We'd stand in a circle of people and she'd say, Mark. And I would just pretend like she wasn't there. Oh. Talk about putting your friends through the most oh. awkward time too, you know? Brutal. It was so brutal. And I, I look back and I was just like, had no mm. ability to communicate my anger, my mm. grief. Uh, although I certainly felt a lot of grief, I felt very isolated and alone within my own body, my own mind. And, you know, my parents, uh, I think I sort of hid that one from them. 
because I was probably embarrassed, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't know. Hey, I feel like I just feel like this story is so important for women listening because, and like healing, because women just think when guys shut off like that, they just think they don't care about them anymore. And it's like, yeah, it, this is, this is going to be a healing story. (laughs) (laughs) I heard so much. Yeah. That was, it was just like, I couldn't uh, bear to be rejected over and over again. So it was just Mm -hmm. easier to or to even like sit in that grief. What did it mean? I mean, there was no Instagram or Google or anything like that. You just listen to songs that made you sad. Or, <laughs> or sorry, elicited your sadness that was already there. Um, and then my next girlfriend was in grade 11 and grade 12. And she's a great girl. I mean, though that relationship ended when I went to college and it ended with some pain. I felt betrayed and... Although if I look back, I'm like, I betrayed myself long before mm. the the phys, you know, the explicit betrayal. There was lots of implicit betrayals. But I would say the most defining, like, at this point, I'm like a guy who probably identifies as being a nice guy wanting to mm. be different than what the media has told us about men. My mom, a feminist. My dad, very emotionally intelligent. So he'd be the one who'd ask us how we were feeling. How's our heart? Mm. I was really lucky to have that. My mom is an immigrant from Ireland. And so when she moved to Canada, she, you know, had a hard time integrating. So when we were growing up, we would have immigrant families every week over at the house from different parts of the world. And, um, you know, she, in, in having that sort of modeling of relationship, it was great. But at the same time, I didn't get to see a lot of conflict get managed between them. And so I was very conflict avoidant Mm. and that would be to my detriment for so much time. Um, Because, you know, when you avoid it, it doesn't make it go away. And it's like everything you don't say, you say just through other ways or you swallow it and it becomes, you know, you, you feel ill or Mm. it creates illness. Um, And so the, when I was 19, I dated this woman who went away to school. She went away on a scholarship to the States. And when she went away, we agreed that it would be okay if we saw other people, Um, if we would just have to tell each other about it, which for anyone listening who is even thinking about doing that, (laughs) I have to tell you, that's like signing yourself up for pain and anxiety. And because what it did is it took what was once a safe container and made it unsafe. And it also, I was under the illusion, well, I'm not going to date other people. She probably won't either. So this is a, it was an easy way of tearing down, like the relationship, bringing it down a tear without actually feeling the tear of the bandaid. And, you know, if I look back, all of this was so obvious to me that it was unfolding and so as would have it, Canadian Thanksgiving came around. She went down to a scholarship on the States and her friend and her came back. Her best friend was also on a scholarship. They came back and I went over to her parents' house for Thanksgiving dinner. And they also brought back one of their friends who was the running back for the football team. And so he wanted to see what Canadian Thanksgiving is like, which is the exact fucking same as U.S. Thanksgiving. It just doesn't have a big shopping day the day after. So I'm like, I'm on it. You know, I'm like, hmm. I meet this guy. He's like really handsome, built like Adonis. I'm like, okay. (laughs) 
you know, I'm a confident guy ish at that time, you know, so I, I'm having dinner and I'm sitting and I remember this. So more from a somatic perspective, but I can remember the picture of like her stepdad, her mom, uh, her, him and me. So that's a weird situation because I like sitting there and I'm eating fucking mashed potatoes or something. And I'm like, is there something going on between them? And like, you know, you start to think about it. You're like, who brings back someone you're seeing to a dinner with your boyfriend? Yeah, not a great decision, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, holy fuck, this is crazy. And I remember saying goodbye to her that night and like her house was a walkout through the garage. And I remember sitting at the stairs and just saying to her, like, is this how you tell me? And, and you know, the answer being sorry. Yes. Oh, uh, I left that house, uh, destroyed in, in so many ways, probably because for the first time it was explicit, like, I'd had betrayals before, but this was like, literally I was eating fucking Thanksgiving with the betrayal. And I remember driving away from that house and I was in a dark place for mm. a long time. Um, probably darker than I'd ever been. Wow. And I didn't know how to handle it. I, it was like October, whatever, you know, 2000 no not even 2000 this is like 97 or something maybe 98 some people probably weren't even born yet who are listening and <laughs> I I remember um oh so so as of course what happens in October is Halloween so I go out for Halloween and I'm like now finding some sort of solace at the bottom of a bottle or you know, through shots of tequila. I'm also in college, which really binge drinking is just celebrated in college. And I go out that night. And now granted, I've like maybe kissed, including pecked five girls in my life at this point. And I'm like 21. Mm. Um, I've had two serious girlfriends and very much lived my life with a high level of integrity. And I go out that night, uh, dressed as a newsie, I think that's what I was dressed as. And my <laughs> friend and I decide that it's a good idea to take two girls home to my parents' house, which dressed as the devil, I'm not, the irony is not lost upon me. And <laughs> uh, I go to hook up with her and I'm like, <laughs> I just think of this, how ridiculous this was. I was like, never been in a situation like this never had a one night stand. And I remember telling her all the things that was, was about to happen. <laughs> and then, you know, all systems are supposed to be go and I go to put it in and, and I can't get an erection. Oh, and I, this yeah. is the first time in my life this has ever happened. Like to, you know, there's a couple boobs, a vagina, <laughs> making out, these are all the necessary ingredients, not even necessary. I could do it by myself and <laughs> I can't get an erection. And, you know, I always laugh because there's a funny saying that it's like putting a marshmallow in a piggy bank. And that's exactly <laughs> what the experience is like. And so 
I laugh now, but that actually threw me in a really big tailspin yeah. because I didn't know why I wasn't able to be aroused. And I didn't realize that my, my physical body didn't want to allow me into intimacy. And of course, there's many layers to that. Uh, one, that it leads to betrayal and heartbreak and all those things. Um, but also that it's just, I'm not in an emotionally safe space. Mm. And because of the messages for men are so mixed in that of like your masculinity is found in your ability. And since my masculinity, you know, I'd been uh, an emotional, sensitive person my whole life up until that point. Um, and, you know, like when you're hanging out with your buddies from a sports team or like, you know, I'm blessed to have grown up with some really incredible men, but when you're hanging out with them, you know, you're not talking like, Hey, you know what, man, you're really nailing monogamy or like, Hey man, you know, you're, you know, like those aren't the conversations that you tend to have. And so I wasn't participating in the conversations that tended to get all the celebrations. But at this point, you know, I started to, uh, what I learned is that if I drank enough, I could drink away my morals and then I could, I sort of doubled down on wanting to try to have one night stands or try to have short term bursts of intimacy because I was so lost and it, it gave me some sense of validation mm. and it also really prevented any sort of depth. You know, as soon as someone liked me, I was gone. Are you kidding? As soon as they were like, Hey, I'm really starting to like you. I'm like, bye. Wow. Isn't it wild that one? So, so do you, do you trace it back to that one relationship in high school? Maybe the first two in college um, went into college. You know, I, first I want to take responsibility for the Thanksgiving dinner. You don't get to that dinner. If you honor yourself, no, like I wouldn't have even been at that dinner. If I honored the truth, which was, I didn't want to see other people. So if I didn't want to see other people and she did, we would be at a deal breaker and we'd both yeah. be apart because a lot of people would blame her, but it's not her fault. She's no. 19 as well, trying to figure out the world, trying to not hurt me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look back and I'm like, you don't even end up at that dinner. That dinner is the place yeah. that hits you with the cosmic two by four that says, hey, remember that time you abandoned yourself? Yeah. It doesn't remove the pain of it. Um, but I would trace back the, the short-term <laughs> relational addiction that I had to th that experience for sure. Yeah. But the buildup of many, but that yeah. one was sort of the, the dark night of the soul, which I didn't decide to go into. Instead, I decided to numb it for yeah. years for years. And this is true for every single avoidant, emotionally unavailable human out there, whether it came from their childhood or it came from their relationship pain. Like this is, there's a moment where something shifts and all of a sudden they don't trust and they don't um, feel safe and, and, and the walls go up. So this is oh, a really yeah. poignant story for women to hear from a man's perspective. Because I think because relationships are so important to women, women often just feel like men don't care as much and then it doesn't impact them in the way that it impacts us. So yeah, this is really beautiful. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing all of that. Yeah, I mean, thanks for the space. I'm in the womb here. Uh, <laughs> and so after that, I went to, I switched universities and I moved. And when I was at the new university, 
I met um, the woman that I was engaged to and we dated for five years and she was an incredible woman. You know, I had, after that ended, uh, I went sort of back to my old patterns and uh, I, I would, ha anyone who was unavailable was perfect for me and anyone who could love me, who checked all the boxes, I found a flaw with or I ran from or my stomach would hurt you know, as soon as there was some sort of, as soon as I had to receive love, as soon as I had to sit there and actually be loved, because I had such a, um, a belief that I just wasn't worthy of it. Mm. But on the outside, I was like, you know, good at sports, hoped that the, um, the, the ability to get the affirmation from short-term relationships uh, sort of hid that or I hid it behind charisma and humor. Um, I was just like, didn't want anyone to see that I was hurting a lot. Yeah. Wow. And so what was your turning point? Did Was it in the rupture of the relationship? Of That's the when I started to ask myself, like, why do I do what I do? Why mm -hmm. am I here? What is my purpose? Uh, you know, up until that point, I was raised Catholic, which I got rid of that as soon as I could, but you know, and that, that doesn't go away. You sort of have to undo the, the parts of the religion that, that don't agree with your, um, morality or your integrity. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was raised to get married by 27, be a good provider, um, have kids and, and make sure I made enough money to support a family. And so here I was at this, sort of place of adventure and curiosity where I was realizing how much I loved, you know, I was in sales at the time and I was good at sales, really good at it. And I realized that I was so good at talking about everything but my feelings, which didn't make any sense because mm. it's not a skill set issue. There's something deeper than that. And so that began the adventure of instead of reading, how do you manipulate people and get them to change their behavior? It's like, how do I actually engage and change myself, but also for other people? And so I went back to school. I studied positive psychology, which really, really spoke to my heart because it was the science of um, optimism and thriving. And like, why are some people, why do some relationships last and others not? That was really interesting to me. And as I was doing this, uh, educating for myself, I also was seeing, I'm like, why is no one telling the truth about relationships? Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd felt like when my engagement ended, so many people were invested in my relational outcome that when I asked advice prior to ending it, people gave me advice that was related to how it might affect them mm. and their own fears and their own insecurities. And it was when I um, wrote my story on a forum on this website that was called The Runaway Bride, which is gone now, which is unfortunate. But I wrote my story on a forum and it was mostly women on the forum, at least that I know, but it could have been a ton of different <laughs> people pretending. But what was so beautiful is uh, these people had no investment in my outcome. So they just gave me advice from their own experience. They'd been engaged, they'd been divorced, they'd been afraid, they'd been all the things. And I started to see how normal that is, where I thought I was broken because I didn't want to get engaged or didn't want to get married or was unsure that there was something innately flawed with me. Hmm. It was like 
that validation through other people that I was like, oh, we're all going through this. None of us have a fucking clue what we're doing. Yeah. And I mean, there's some peacefulness to just knowing that. Um, A lot of my work was really born from the desire to remove the shame that is associated with relational, what we would call a fail, a failing because it ended. And I started to see that my relationships that have ended have been the greatest gifts that have been the birthplace of my awareness, my passions, my purpose. And I saw that we have so many people who stay stuck in the frozen place of where they were exiled Mm. by their community, by their family, by their religion, um, which is when you need community most. Yes. And so, I mean, I was lucky. I have a lot of great friends who held on tight and were like, we're so proud of you. Um, My parents, same thing, like stuck right beside me. Um, But, you know, you got two people's lives being split and that there's so many people invested in that for good reasons too. You know, there's a lot of things that get disrupted in any rupture. And um, I, I just think that we need to normalize the fact that not all relationships last forever and that's okay. That, oh my God, that has been so many of our new truth podcast episodes is around that and around breakups being a catalyst for change and for growth. And that it doesn't mean that it was a failure. It was a success because it happened. Even if it was the, a toxic relationship that ended, it was a success because you got out of it. You ended it. So the most courageous act, you know, yeah, exactly. Even the face of all the biological reasons uh, that you have to stay. I mean, that is to have soul choose you know, which yeah. is so different to rise when you have every reason to shrink and fall and and put yourself in a box and hide in shame when it's like, no, that's that's the chance. That's the chance to, that's why whenever anyone tells me like I'm going through a breakup, I'm like, I try to like not act excited for them because <laughs> for me, I'm like, I'm really sorry to hear that. And welcome, you're yeah. about to fucking uncover Up some level. amazing shit. Like, yeah. especially because when you're going through a breakup, if you've never laid down any boundaries, people will leave you alone when you're going through a breakup. They're like, just leave her. She's going a bit crazy right now. <laughs> and that's great. Be the crazy person with boundaries. Be the crazy person who taps into their anger. Be the crazy person who, I'm like, awesome. That's the moment. Yeah, it's such a poignant moment. Yeah, it can be for sure. Kai, I'd love to hear from you. Any, any additions to so far? No, I love what Mark just said in terms of getting stuck at the point in time where we are exiled. Yes. When he said that I just saw myself in a holding pattern. I mean, for yeah. me, I was exiled. There was, it was yes. a complete rupture. I, yeah. I didn't have, I mean, other than my twin sister and my little sister and my little brother, um, I lost my whole community. I lost my relationships with my mom and my dad and not lost in like a, forever lost but it was like but at the time but at the time it was like yeah whoa we are we are alone in this world so when Mm -hmm. he said that I just sat with the intensity of that moment of having to choose your soul's path over potentially everyone in your life is like it's not a small thing and something else he so beautifully shared is is this this piece around shame and how in our culture based off of all of these lenses narratives and 
uh, stories that, that keep us stuck in the place of suspension of not completing the initiation Mm -hmm. and trusting the catalyst of the breakup or the, the divorce or the ending that, um, really (laughs) deeply resonated. Cause I think it, I took, it took me about seven years to, to really step out of shame and to excavate, uh, the toxic shame that I was still holding, um, from taking on the responsibility of the well-being of my whole family system. Yeah. And my previous husband and, 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 uh, and so. And it, this is because of the old paradigm of love. That's what we, what Catherine and I call it, Mark, the old paradigm of love where there's only one option, one partner forever. Like, are you fucking kidding me? This is 2020. We have like 800 career paths per lifetime and we only get one partner and like, you don't know who you're going to be in the future. And so it's, yeah, that it's that, that story that we're still buying into and subscribing to. And it's, it's shocking. That's not, it's really hasn't shifted. Like it's people are starting to talk about it now, but it's, it's, I mean, I talked to 21 year olds and they're like, I just want to find the one and meet the husband and live happily ever after. It's like, you know, that story's not real, right? Like, come on. <laughs> you know, at 41, you're going to be like, oh, I wish I waited a little longer, which is yeah. not to minimize people who have successful relational no, choices in their not early at all. 20s. Although, you know, relational success is directly correlated to the age at which you choose to get married. Um, and, you know, that makes total sense because you learn more, you're wiser, you start to discover who you are and you think you know who you are when you're young, which is not to minimize you if you're 21 listening and you do know who you are. Um, You can discern the difference between what I'm saying and what is true about you. But what's fascinating to me is that the, as you were saying, that it's one person. So what happens is that then the marriage becomes a container, which is a prison rather than a place where freedom is, is, cultivated and discovered uh, because relationships ultimately should feel free. And yeah, I think of a beautiful line from Harriet Lerner's work where she says, if you're not free to leave the relationship, you won't feel free to be yourself in the yeah. relationship. So true. And, and that sounds really counterintuitive to people because they say, well, that's not romantic. Like you made a vow, you made a, you know, but ultimately it is romantic because it means that the relationship is coming from a choice, from a choose yeah. to, not a have to. And, you know, my first 40 years of my life were undoing that and figuring out mm. this, but which is an ever evolving figuring out because yeah. as soon as you recognize that Kai is an adult and she can leave any moment she wants to, mm-hmm. then you realize the actual grab gravity of her choice you recognize the immense privilege of the choice mm-hmm. and, and you I ha- think that's a different place yeah exactly it's a, i mean the reality is we've been brainwashed to believe to like to believe what what is romantic like what yeah. why do we think that that's romantic like till death do us part forever and ever even if you hate i want to this thing feels so good right yeah exactly that's my grandparents this thing right now feels so good. I want to keep it forever and ever. And that's romantic, but no, that's because you're deprived of feeling good and you're scared. You'll never feel good again, but also you want to hold on to it forever. But ultimately what's really romantic is being right here now and letting a relationship organically unfold and actually getting to experience it as it unfolds instead of 
projecting, you know, 50 years into the future and just living in that box, like, okay, we signed up for this. And what happens in that box is complacency and shutdown and sacrifice and settling and staying in relationships, even when people hate each other. And that's. And then using that as like a righteous throne to stand on. That's interesting to me when people are like, but we stayed, even though we don't like each other, we stayed as if that's some sort of badge of honor. And I'm like, you know, I say this often, it gets a lot of controversy, but I say this often, which is don't stay for the kids. But if you're going to stay with and have and be parents, do something about it. Like actually change, change your relationship, grow, but don't just stay and do nothing because you're, you know, ideally, yes, together with kids, love each other, ideal, apart with kids, love each other, second, together, don't like each other, apart, don't like each other. Neither of those are actually beneficial. Both of those suck. You're teaching your children how to have really shitty relationships and that is not, not good modeling. Yeah. Yeah. We are definitely on the same page with this one. Oh, man. Um, okay. What were you going to say, Kai? I was just going to say, I was, I was going to name that the piece around shame and the moment where there's exile, I think yeah. as you as you were sharing and as we were really unpacking that, is I think that's one of the main maybe unconscious reasons that I was so um, conflicted in our rupture last year is because yeah. I was like, well, I'm going to lose my whole community again. I'm going to lose Mark. I'm going to lose, like, that's what happens when you trust your soul. You literally lose everyone. Yeah. And I remember like bumping up against that, especially in my close friendships that, that originally were, came through Mark. Yeah. Um, more specifically Kelsey. And I was like, I mean, if I, like, I'll be okay. But like, it was so healing last year where all of our friends and community and thanks to Mark and and his level of maturity around this as well, where there was no, um, there was no ostracizing. There was no shaming. There was no blaming. There was no, uh, you can't do this or you can't talk to her. Like it was for me in that moment, it was so corrective Mm -hmm. because it was the first time where I actually felt free and loved from him, like unconditionally because it could be as easy as my, you know, ex or, you know, for different reasons of being like, nobody talks to her, like everybody shut down, mm-hmm. but that wasn't my experience. And I'm so grateful for our community of friends as well to really support me in reprogramming that, <laughs> that yeah. healing that time. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. It takes a certain level. I mean, I think this is the new paradigm of, relationship rupture too is like you're the love doesn't go away maybe you're maybe you're upset or angry or hate the behavior that caused the rupture but the love is still there and so to be able to leave a relationship with love and obviously feel the grief and the anger and the rage and all the stuff as you go through the process of the ending but know that at the core you still love that person and be able to hold them in that sacred you know reverent place is so important and not every human is equipped to do that <laughs> certainly most of them aren't not most of them aren't either like i just didn't talk to my first girlfriend for a year and a half you know? <laughs> yeah. like, prime example yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. that's what most of most of them yeah. are like <laughs> it's true you know it took a lot of 
I just like kept coming back to grace throughout that. That was it. That was like, that's my word, you know, for 2020 and beyond. Cause it was just like, how do I choose grace? How do I choose grace? Despite not wanting to, despite the 13 year old version of me being like, fuck this, let's just exile, <laughs> you know? Mm. But I think once you've been exiled or you've experienced it or witnessed it or any of those things, you can't entertain it anymore. You, you yeah. know, the actual, that when you're in your deepest level of suffering, what you need is people to say, we love you. And what can you teach us? I, I think that's such an interesting thing about relational endings is there's so many beautiful lessons to be taught from being within the container that we should be asking people, how did they get there? What did they oh, learn? Yeah. So that we as communities yes. can learn from these people. And then what happens is the people who go through breakups or divorces or any of those things that we are actually saying you're the sage, like you're the wise one, you're the one who's made this courageous decision. And I think because breakups have so many collateral influences and impacts, uh, we try to stop them from ever occurring. We try to, because mm. you know, they're obviously painful, but we don't like the collateral damage they create because then we have to deal with the loss of our relationship with our parents and but imagine if you could make decisions and still the people who love you would love you. Like that yeah. just seems like fucking logical. Like, yes, yes, of course. So in your humanness, the people who love you still love you. Uh, duh, that's unconditional love. Like it yeah. pisses me off even saying these sentences because I'm like, how do we miss this? But we only miss it because someone taught us that because it happened to them. So mm -hmm. that's where grace and compassion has to come in to stop the, 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 the hereditary continuation of it yes yeah and 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 there's the trusting the divine too like when we follow our our truth and follow our soul and make those really really tough tough choices it i mean in the end it's going to work out for you because you've got like it's in alignment if you're lining up with your own soul you're lining up with the universe and with the divine and it is going to work out and then you start to see like i think of in my life i went through my one of my biggest transitions that i've walked through you probably don't know the story mark i'm not going to go into it right now but i'll tell you another day um yeah. but i my name change story which for those of you listening if you don't know it go back to the second episode where Catherine interviews me um, but I changed my name multiple times to get to the iteration of my name now, which is Kate is my middle name and Harlow is my great grand great grandfather's name. Did you not know this? Okay. Oh my gosh, your sister knows. <laughs> you didn't know. I told her oh, the other yeah. day. That is so funny. That is um, yeah, it's a it's a cool story. But in that process, like it, I mean, that was actually one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Like going from my first name to my middle name, it, I did it. 14 years ago when I was 25 and I was like, I was still so insecure and cared so much what everyone around me thought. So to make that choice felt so scary, but I did it. And I stood in my truth because my name never was my name. It was Andrea, by the way. I never felt like an Andrea. My name never felt aligned my whole life, even when I was really little. And when I made that choice and, and took a stand and I sent an email, it was pre-Facebook, pre all the social media. And I took an email, sent an email to everyone I know. And I'm like, I changed my name. I'm going by my middle name. And I got so much pushback. I had people exile, <laughs> I had people, you know, no longer be friends with me. They thought it was so weird. And it was just this rupture happened in my life, which to me back then was like, 
just losing everything. It was a very, very, very similar feeling to, to your breakup, Kai, and, or your divorce. Um, and so that just stirred up so much. And then by the time I, I changed my last name to Harlow um, about five years ago, I, I, I no longer cared. And I knew because I was now at a place in my life where I was so aligned with my own soul, my own truth. So all my friends were aligned with me. So no matter what, I could be like, hey, guys, I'm now I'm going to be a dude and I'm calling myself Bob. And like everyone in my life would be like, cool. OK, how can we support you? Yeah. Love you. Like, what do you need? And so that's what happens. Like as you cool. up level and you you follow your soul path, that's what happens is we get more and more and more aligned with the people that we're surrounded by. And then they can hold us and they can stay in relationship with us through all of these changes and all of these um, ruptures that happen in our lives. So, yeah, it's nice when you get into the space because you, what you do is you find freedom when you make those choices. And then from a state of freedom, when you realize that someone else's opinion actually becomes your prison, you stop worrying about people's opinions. It's like yeah. this really weird you know, if you're like always dancing for the applause of other people, then when when you actually want to claim who you are, you realize there's no applause. And so mm -hmm. your self-worth lives in the applause and you start to realize that your self-worth lives in you dancing. You know, it's this yeah. beautiful switch mm -hmm. that it's like, wait, I don't give a fuck if anyone's clapping. I just care that I'm dancing. I care that I'm in joy. Because it feels good. Love. You have some hot metaphors. Holy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Uh, okay, so now I want to hear the story, your version of your and Kai's love story from the beginning, the whole thing, the beginning, the rupture, and then to where you are now in Idaho. Oh, man. From the beginning. Uh, well, I slid into her DMs almost six years ago. Sounds so sexual. Is that the purpose? Slid, slid it right in. Slid in. Beautiful picture <laughs> of, uh, I think, the top of Grouse Mountain a sunset or something like that um and she wrote me back and the, that, that is the she came and visited a couple months later something like that and you know we had lots of great conversations she at the time had told me that I think you were you said you were in a year and a half out of no two years out of her divorce but she was really only what a year and a half mm, no it was about 19 19 months yeah you rounded up for convenience so <laughs> <laughs> two years it's been two years minus five months um <laughs> and you know like i remember when we would speak and she told me about her divorce and i said you know and i knew that she had some shame associated with it and mm. for me like her divorce has been and continues to be one of my favorite moments of her life you know so it's interesting when you see what someone's pain has brought them that you actually have gratitude for that you know that's why whenever i see anyone hide their divorce or anything like that i'm like don't let society decide that that's something you should be ashamed of like grow yeah. from that own that shit yes. fucking put it on a shirt you know yes. like, divorced and badass you know <laughs> where and, and so i i remember saying to her like the fact that you're divorced is actually one of my favorite things and her being like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> and short circuited my whole <laughs> yes. conditioning map. I was like, mm. no, that's not, that's not how this actually <laughs> that works. can't be. I've been <laughs> terrified of this thing. You can't be proud of it. Yeah. And 
you know, our relationship, I think up until, um, you know, I was more pursuing, she was more avoidant, which mm-hmm. of course just uh, triggers more pursuing mm-hmm. and more avoidance. And, you know, it was probably like three years. We, you know, in the last year before we broke up, we had had conversations about parting. You know, we'd have conversations about feeling disconnected, about not being sure what the next step was. Because, you know, early in our relationship, about a year into it, maybe 10 months, Kai had had a dream. And in the dream, she had said that she had, there was a burning house. I'm sure she's talked about the burning house. Yeah. Um, and that basically it was our relationship and she would have to leave. And so really I spent the next three years in a relationship with someone who might have to leave. Mm. And so I think about that now and I'm like, you know, I would never recommend anyone tolerating that. Although the story has turned out, um, that was a huge place of self abandonment Yes, because why would you, there's no safety. There's literally no safety. And so, basically our relationship was built upon a foundation that didn't really truly exist. It was missing a pillar, a massive pillar. And that just made me more anxious and made, I mean, I, you know, I have empathy and compassion for her having to hold that because that's a big thing to hold, to want to choose something, but to not know why you can't fully choose it. And, you know, it just got to a place where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't be in a relationship with someone who can't fully choose it. Like we've already, now at that point we had exhausted all the things, you know, we'd personally growthed our way through as a couple individually. (laughs) She'd been through, you know, a a constant desire to want to figure it out. And, you know, that's what kept me in it was she was actually doing the work, you know, she was actually doing the things but it just got to a place where I was like, this one thing is not going anywhere. And it's causing you to go insane and causing me to go insane. And, you know, I remember looking at her and saying, like, sometimes the answer isn't to continue. Yeah. You know? And and I remember those conversations well, because they were uh, last August. Um, a year and a bit ago and I remember her sitting on the bed and us talking about it and just saying like her saying like why don't you just leave me and I was like grow up I'm not fucking leaving you (laughs) like you (laughs) decision and I said that to her like no Mm -hmm. you're an adult like this is important that you choose it and and that and so we decided to take a break for a month which again I'm not a fan of breaks so it was about five days into the break maybe six where we weren't going to talk for a month and that was at the beginning of September and then I was like what are we doing here like delaying yeah like we're just delaying the actual conversation that you're Mm -hmm. still not choosing this and a break's not going to make you choose it like we've no. And I didn't want to continue to live in ambivalence. To be honest with you, that at that point I was like, 
fuck this. I'm not sitting in a break for a month just so I can continue to experience more ambivalence, which is I had already made up my mind. I didn't want to be in the relationship anymore, yeah. you know, and she I'm sure had too. Um, but you know, again, you want to tear down the relationship so it doesn't, you don't experience the full pain. And so we had a conversation because <clears throat> via FaceTime, because both of us were in just different parts of the world. And so uh, she was sitting in a parking lot at probably at Whole Foods. I don't know. The mall. <laughs> the mall. And <laughs> I said to her, uh, you got to say it. You've got to choose. You have to tell me that it's, you know, I didn't actually even say exactly what she had to tell me. I just knew that she had to do it for her own, that she had to choose it. Yeah. Yeah. And so she did. And, um, and that was it. That was, and then I went into like healing self mode, which was, we're going to clear up the things we need to clear up. And I still love you, but I'm not going to talk to you for a while. Because <clears throat> to me, like boundaries and my own healing is a priority. Mm. And so we cleared up all the things we had to. And I remember saying to her, because we had done a FaceTime call and I had gotten back to Vancouver at that time. And so had she. And so I was, we were in agreement that we should do something in person and have a conversation. So then we're like, what about doing a closing ceremony? And so I Googled closing ceremony <laughs> and <laughs> I found sort of a compilation of things people had done and I sent her the proposed uh, agenda <laughs> and she agreed to it and and we treated it very uh, sacred hmm. and you know like I remember saying to my like thinking to myself like I don't want to do a closing ceremony, <laughs> you know? And I remember thinking to myself, like, do you not want to do it because you genuinely just don't want to do it, which I would not do if I didn't? Or do you not want to do it because it's going to require you to grow and more of you and grace and all the things? And instantly the answer was like the, the latter. Mm -hmm. So um, that day, that morning, <laughs> she had the car and that I was going to keep and that morning she had left it charging I think the night before and left it unlocked so it got broken into then that morning I go to get it and there's this a mark down the back left side of it so the car I'm just about to get back the morning of our closing ceremony it looks like it has been keyed by a black marker on a white car down the back and someone had broken into it and I'm just like Oh, choose grace. Choose grace. Of course, <laughs> I was like, what the hell are you doing with the car? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like perfect timing like, you for him lock to unleash it. his anger. Although I didn't. I was mad, but I did. Two sides to the story. Sides <laughs> always. Wait, Maybe I was not. Sides. I did not unleash anger. No, you didn't. You were upset, though. You definitely had some. Studies. I expressed it. Yeah. I was like. Well, if it rubs off, why didn't you rub it off the mark on the car? Because I'm like, why would you give it back to me like that? Which was made sense, right? Like, why would you do that? Like, it, to me, it just, she's like, yeah, it rubs off. Don't worry about it. I'm like, then fix it. Because you're like giving me something in a time where things are really tender. And you know that I'm going to be upset by it. So that felt really weird to me. Mm. 
You know why? You, you get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Why would you do that? It's a good I question. I didn't even think about it. You should way. have thought about like, it. That's I was the... crumbling at the seams. <laughs> like the car was the last of you my You should worries. have crumbled up and down with your hand and a rag to clean <laughs> off the mark. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was the perfect it was, storm. Yeah. For yes. day. It yeah. was I laugh like... about it now. Actually, we laughed about it pretty much the next day. Mm -hmm. um, but we did the closing ceremony and uh, that was one of the most beautiful, one of the most painful um, things I'd ever done. But it was also, it left the container with love, so mm -hmm. much love. And there wasn't blame. There wasn't anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, easily I could blame and say, uh, you didn't choose the relationship and you never fully chose it. But I chose it. So, you know, it would be easy to to stand on a righteous throne, but I'm in choice too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I learned a lot from that. And so in the space we were apart, we didn't talk for three months. And then we spoke in December and we had a short-lived reunion. Uh, but then both were in agreement that it wasn't the time. And then mm -hmm. we came back together in, was it April? Mm-hmm. And she was still doing her man diet. No man diet. That was till April 5th. Yeah. Are you talking about the space in between where I broke my container? Which piece? I don't know. The one in December <laughs> and then we, we stopped talking at yeah. the end of January. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, what's the point? What are we doing here? Like yeah. you're still getting your needs met and I'm not. Yeah. So bye. And that was, I mean, it wasn't exactly bye, but it was kind of bye. <laughs> I was pretty much like, I can't talk to you because this is not serving me in any way. We yeah. both knew that. And I was the one who communicated that first. Uh, <laughs> yes. Two sides to the story. <laughs> Hold on. You're Let both right. Say. You're there both right. That's true. But I'm, I'm just trying to remember there was a conversation I had with her after I came back from a retreat. And that's actually what initiated it. The Hawaii yes. one was different than the January one. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the Hawaii one was when I said to her, like, this doesn't serve. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. yeah. And then in April, she was on her no man diet and we at the end of that we did so we talked we met for coffee mm -hmm. and then i'm trying to remember the exact details i don't remember it we met for coffee and more and I, some cream i hey, yo. i broke my um <laughs> i had to that was a good joke I was on my that. no man diet in this very sacred container. And I think I talked about this in the last yes. Yeah, episode. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one piece I left out of that episode was Mark and I did reconnect one for one day yeah. at, in that container and ended up being intimate and it rocked. When I say rocked, three Not days rocked. trauma response rocked. Oh. I mean it rocked and like it rocked. It, it was, it was the most, it was the most pain I've ever viscerally been in because of the, because of, because of the lack of honoring of my own container that I had set for myself. Yes. Um, as, as well as some other variables that we don't need to get into in this conversation that I'm still 
excavating, but it was like very clear, like this container is very important. You are not yeah. going to interfere. You're not wow. going to. One of the things Mark said to me after that, which really unlocked a really old, deep pattern was he's like, I forgot the exact words, but he looked at me because I was distraught after mm. breaking my own container. Mm. He said, I'm sorry. He's like, I sh he's like, I should have honored your container too, because I know how sacred this container is for you. And he's like, and there was a part of me. There was a mischievous part of me was that was like, break the container for me. Mm. Yes. You know? So he had this like shadow element yeah. operating in that totally field did. around like, let's conquer. Let's a sexy right. shadow element. A sexy, yeah. 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 It was really old. It sounds hot. <laughs> yeah, it was super hot. It wasn't hot for me. Yeah. Um, no. Hot in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> not after that no anyways it unlocked something really deep because it was actually the first time and i remember telling him this is like oh i actually trust you now that you've touched that piece of yourself yeah wow of like there's a deeper level of trust here yeah because there there were shadow elements that were operating yeah for yeah for both of us of and i'd say that mark and i for mark for me and i for mark and he can obviously express for his side of the story is is I have, our love was so deep that it allowed me to touch the darkest shadowy places of my being mm. to the depths that you don't even want to look at that stuff. You're like, oh, I utilize manipulation to source safety, security. Like <laughs> yeah. that's really uh, yeah. Like that's dark. Like oh, <laughs> well, it's like going into the darkness of it's like, the righteousness of self abandonment. Uh, you know that that uh, I was in. Yeah. Yeah. And then like utilizing sex appeal, like all of these things that, that were yeah, in the shadow girl. for me. Yeah. And then, you know, also him owning his side of the shadow dynamic that were, was present. Mm. Of, like, well, even using like providing to, yeah. to hooking in, to hook in, yep. to, you know, and you think about how subtly men, especially and women are trained to do that. You know, I did a video once on my Instagram that was about like, is it a red flag if a man doesn't pay on a first date? And it's amazing how many people lost their fucking mind over that conversation. Cause I said, look, it could be a green flag cause he believes you can show up for yourself, mm -hmm. you know, but so many people were so stuck in the paradigm of the patriarchy, which I'm not saying that it can't be romantic and kind if someone asks you out and whatever. But my point is, is if it's a, if it's a black and white red flag, mm -hmm. then you know, you're still participating in aspects of the patriarchy. And I always ask the question like, which parts do you like? Do you just want to keep the parts you like? Or do you want sovereignty? Mm -hmm. Both people, because I shouldn't have to buy her dinner to feel like I'm enough. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't have to provide to feel like I'm enough. It should just, because if my ability to provide goes anywhere, then my enoughness goes too. And so does my partner's view of my worthiness. And mm -hmm. that's why men live on such, and I'm not dismissing the many, uh, teeter-totters that women live on, but men live on this very thin line of their worth being in their income and their worth being in their, mus their yeah. muscles. Yeah. And in such a world where all of that is being rocked in, in many good ways, there's also a lack of mental health conversation and um, just for men to be able to explore that they've already, they've also been sold out. They've also been manipulated. We yeah. are all victims of yeah, the, the paradigm. Patriarchy. Yeah, we absolutely. Think, you know, it's because it's the patriarchy, it's easy to make it 
men's faults, which again, is not dismissing responsibility, but it's saying the way out is not pointing fingers. The way out is joining hands. Yes. Yeah. So Love with that. that, we joined hands. We- <laughs> yeah. With that, uh- so you had the bloop, which was obviously a, a very important moment to highlight a microcosm of a macrocosm and all the dynamics that were yes. playing That's out good. in your relationship. It was so important. Like- so important. It was deeply painful, but it was like the most, I probably the most important part of my container with the yeah. diet was breaking it and like, yeah. oh. But how important this it is was. how deep this is. Yeah. Yes. It. Yeah. Because it brought up all the shadow rather than just doing the work and trying to excavate it, but like you needed the activator to actually. Yeah. 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 And that's why, you know, easily anyone could go, oh, you broke your, your commitment, your go to exile, go into shame mode, as opposed to like, what's in it, what's in, it's like when people who experience addiction, and they relapse, what some really beautiful change models show is that with every relapse is a learning. And so Mm -hmm. this is true of all things, you know, it it gives you the compassion to be human, you know, and, and we certainly embraced that moment, that experience. Mm -hmm. And then we started speaking again in when it was done the container was done and then she came back to vancouver for her two-week quarantine at the end of may yeah we had a we had a lot of space yeah physical distance Mm -hmm. so first it was like initial like we're gonna create a three-month container of just dating to assess like what is the highest way forward for our souls like what is it yeah do we want to be together does this work (laughs) <laughs> <That's true. laughs> what is the highest way forward for ourselves and do we want to be together <laughs> and do we want to be it's like that's an that in alignment right in service to our the first part was really challenging for me mm. um like i didn't there needed to be a, a, a healing of trust like yeah. you're telling me that you choose me now you right. used to tell me that all the time right. so like show me right and also I found that she, because she was coming out of a lot of uh, patriarchy uncovering and all the things, she came in hot and on, not just sexy, but actually like came in bulldozy. And so mm. there was a few times I had to say like, I need you to be more sensitive with me. Because yeah. she was coming in at me and I'm like listen there's a space where I can listen to you unfold and do all the things and talk shit I'm all good for it like I can hear you clear but our relationship container can't be a consistent clearing like Mm -hmm. I'm not every man in the world I'm not patriarchy yes although I have participated in it um, I have consciously always tried to be a balanced loving open Mm -hmm. human being And I'm imagining Kai was on the pendulum, which I've experienced many times in my growth where you're like tapping into this new part. And so you used to be over here and then you're way over here and it's like a bit like potent. Yeah, it has some sharper teeth. There's no doubt. I swung. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I remember like what what felt true to me in those moments is if I didn't stand in some fierce truth of what I'd seen and what I'm naming and what I need to clear that. I would drop back into old dynamics. So there was an element of like fear if I didn't. Yeah. But it was really important in that beginning space 
to see Mark's vulnerability because it actually historically in our relationship was not front and center was not named was not was not a really a big piece like he was always caretaking me mm-hmm. he was over functioning in that way and I was the broken little girl who needed to be saved and fixed and mm-hmm. he was always like what's going on for you what are you feeling and so when he softened and it put it like it showed me in a side of him where I was like oh oh yeah that's that's there um mm-hmm. and it really yeah was was important well, I think in our relationship, the space for my vulnerability in the 1.0 was after there was the conversation about her potentially leaving at any moment, there wasn't, my vulnerability was, you don't choose me, like yeah. you're not showing up. There were, there really wasn't, there's was no safety for any other vulnerability. Yeah. So, you know, in my defense, uh, there wasn't a safety. So it's like my vulnerability now could come out because there was this element of choosing. But I also was like, we were both deciding like, is this going to work? So in that I needed the softening, I needed there to be space, I needed all of it in order to actually choose the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I'd say it was probably when it's probably like August, maybe like beginning of September that we were both like, all right, this is, this is going, this is working, this is functioning, this is thriving. Uh, we can announce it, you know? Mm. Before that, we were like dodging each other's Instagram stories, <laughs> hiking in the same places. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, <laughs> funny, you know, when people follow both of us, they'd be like, uh, she's filming from the other room where Mark. <laughs> Everyone was trying to piece it together. You guys were back together. Yeah, you know, and so it's been quite an adventure. There's no doubt. And so for you now, Mark, do you feel that sense of safety now? Yeah. I mean, she would often say to me, uh, I choose you. I'm not going anywhere. Hmm. And that was like, uh, you know, it (laughs) felt very vulnerable because it was, it was exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah. Because I was like, I might go somewhere. (laughs) This is like, I was feeling quite avoidant in the beginning. In the beginning of being back together because yeah. she had shifted and then it activated all those. Well, I was like, I had to, I had to receive what yeah. I'd been pursuing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That meant I had to step out of a role that I was yes. familiar with, which was yeah. to pursue. So wow. it was, we like meet in the middle and I'm like, the middle is scary. <laughs> Isn't it wild? The thing that we long for, like in 1.0 of the relationship, you just want to feel safe. You just want to be met. You just want to meet in the middle and then you get it. And it's like, ah, the yeah, thing right. we're all longing for. Like once you get it, it's going to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I, it's so true. And I, I did have to get to a point where I was like, no longer will I chase. Like that was the catalyst point last year is like, I am so done with this dynamic. Like I was so tired of the dynamic that I couldn't tolerate any ambivalence, like any ambivalence. I was like, no, because my body at that point was somatically, my body would be like, fuck that. Like Mm -hmm. you can't, we didn't get here, you know, and to, to tolerate it anymore. And so we both needed to get to that place me to get there to invite her to get there in the terms of the verbalizing and choosing herself. So, you know, it shows you how much human relationships are always this constant mirror 
to invite your expansion and yes it doesn't mean they're filled with joy all the time no definitely not and that is the new paradigm of relationship is is the relationship is your expander it's it's the thing that if you're willing to go into those uncomfortable places and you're willing to do the inner work and you're willing to show up honestly and in your truth like it's an opportunity to grow but the old paradigm is the complete opposite it's putting yourself in a box and cutting off all the parts of yourself right. to make it work. Yeah. So if you were to leave the, both of you leave the listeners, this has been an epic love story. I love it so <laughs> much. So fun two parter. Um, if you were to leave the listeners with like one key, I mean, there's a million nuggets throughout this whole episode, but like one key takeaway on how to have a, how to have liberated love. Want to go first, my lady? Key takeaway. Mm. I'd say that for me in my journey to liberated love, there there needed to be a restoration of self-trust. And so whatever that path looks like for you um, can look in a myriad of different ways, but just creating enough space to come back in the container of you and to listen deeply and intently and to trust the deeper whispers of your soul, of your dreams, of, of whatever way um, you are being communicated with to, to lean in and to acknowledge that and to build the inner and external foundations that will support you in moving forward uh, and unhooking from outdated survival strategies and patterns that are no longer in service to your soul's truth expression and right relationship. Oh, beautiful. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think for me, the, the thing that I would invite everyone towards is always just bringing forward what is true. You know, and we spend so much time building masks and Mm. and personas to avoid the truth or to hide the truth or to dance around the truth. We we spend time creating a theater. And in doing that, we we build lives that are based on that. Mm -hmm. And when that's why when you bring the truth forward, it's so disruptive because all the things that are based on the false self that protect it from being brought forward have to fall away. And so, you know, I, I think we're all one or two decisions away from being usually big decisions from being fully aligned with ourselves. And mm-hmm. they're usually the thing we're most terrified of. They're usually the thing that is saying, I miss us. I miss mm-hmm. you. I miss me. I miss, I've taken you for granted. I've taken me for granted. You know, it's, it's always in those declarations of truth that you, you invite the relationship to either fracture or deepen. And that's yeah. an important thing to see is like, if the relationship fractures, it means it can't hold the container of both of your totalities. And it it either has to, or it can't. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the truth is always uh, what sets you free. And, you know, I think to myself, like, I'd rather be connected to the truth than be connected to someone else, you know, and that's an interesting different perspective to have relationally, because I would never want Kai to feel like she can't be herself and be in this relationship. Yeah. Like then leave, 
leave fast. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, how perfect truth. That's what we're all about here at the new truth podcast. <laughs> new truth podcast. Um, <laughs> so, um, is there anything that you want to share that you're up to? Um, definitely he- head over to, um, being is beautiful on Instagram. If you're not following Kai, her posts are epic. I mean, both of these two just yeah. unbelievable, unbelievable, poetic, um, life-changing, education and mark is create the love on instagram and mark Rove's podcast what else are you up to that you want to share mind oh i thought you might want to share something well we're both up to we're mind both up to mind but yeah. mind is a beautiful yeah. app that mark is a co-founder of it's like emotional wellness m-i-n-e-d yeah with an apostrophe mind. m-i-n-e oh, cool. apostrophe d yeah yeah it's all about um, bringing emotional wellness to people. It's free for 2020. So we have 10 teachers on there that are teaching all the different things, sex, relationships, emotional intelligence, uh, all the stuff. Kai's teaching on there right now on how to stop being a people pleaser. So that's, I'm sure, relevant to people listening. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we got and lots then, of those. And then I have a plethora of courses available to people i think the one that's probably most relevant to what we're talking about is my breakup course which yes. is all about like the closing ceremony process is in there but i walk people through the process of ending and beginning from for 35 days so it's five weeks beautiful yeah i've been hearing lots about that course from various places so amazing amazing yes check them out thank you so much this was so fun thanks for having us and i appreciate your curiosity as to my side of things (laughs) you opened up a a rabbit hole (laughs) on the podcast so (laughs) thank you so much for walking through the portal being the first man first couple um that we've interviewed for being expanders for myself and our listeners and i love you both so deeply and can't wait for you to get back to vancouver so we can hang out in real life i know and yeah thank you thank you so much bye